how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 407, where I sat down with C.J. Box, author of the Joe Pickett series of 30 books, including the new one, Stormwatch. In this interview, C.J. talks about journalism as a training ground for novel writing, getting his first novel published at age 40, how the inverted pyramid is somewhat missing today, working with agents, and how he does research, including a potential grizzly bear book that might also be in the Joe Pickett series. If, you, if it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button. You can also go steal my first book, Ink by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers, right now for free. That's the digital download and audiobook over at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. That's Ink by the Barrel for free. Okay, here's the interview. I think if you're a writer, you're just sort of hardwired to be one. Um I, whether or not the writing turns out to be successful or commercial or, or what, um, from, you know, early on, I can remember, you know, writing stories for myself. Um, I spent a lot of time, I grew up in Wyoming and, uh, Casper, Wyoming, and I used to ride my bike to the local library. Um, and even though I was a normal kid, I, you know, doing sports and, and fishing and hunting and stuff, I'd ride my bike to the library and um, the librarians there would kind of give me more and more challenging books to read. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the time going down the, the aisles at the library to into the bees to figure out where my book would be someday. <laughs> so I think from early on, I, I, I was kind of, like I said, hardwired to do it, but what form it took, I didn't know. And uh, then later, my um, in high school and college, I was more involved in journalism, and I think that was my background in writing, much more so than like creative writing classes or something like that. Hmm. Were you always interested in even journalism? Those kind of storytelling, like I don't see you really writing like nonfiction, self help, or something that's kind of trendy today. Do you see like your journalism? How does your journalism background play into the work you do now? I think it played in a lot of ways. I, I really recommend to fledgling authors that they really consider it um, as a vocation or at least a training because, um, you know, with the journalism background, you know, you've got to um, you've got to get the words out. You've got to get them out on time. You've got to interview people that you may not be comfortable around. Um, you've got to get out into situations that um, wouldn't naturally be real inviting. And I think all those things are good good training ground for um, writing novels later. Certainly it was in my case. I mean, I, I still draw from um, many of the things that happen and people I talk to when I, in, during my uh, journalism career that um, I can now incorporate into the books. So I think, I think it's very helpful. And I think, you know, there's really not that much difference between a, a, a great, a killer opening line in a book and a great lead sentence in a feature story. You've got to grab the reader, move on, um, trust them, but keep them turning the pages because the things are interesting and you're not just playing in your own head. So I, I just think it's good. That's good background. 
Where were you at in, in terms of journalism, in terms of like the, the cascading information? So I think it's kind of changed, but the way newspapers used to be written is the important stuff's up first. Were you still kind of in that era or was it already moving? Yes, yes I was. I mean, it, 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 I didn't get a novel published till I was 40. Um, in 2001. And up leading up to that, I mean, I was, uh, you know, it's it's amazing to me how rudimentary the, the you know, little local newspaper um, business was that I was involved in. And I mean, we weren't, we weren't even on, the internet did not exist. Computers, mm-hmm. you know, that we, we had, I had, I think I worked on the first Apple computer ever where you'd quickly run out of disk space and have to put in another disk to, just to keep writing the story. So um, things have changed a lot, but it's still, the, the fundamentals are still the fundamentals in terms of, you know, the inverted per- pyramid kind of story yeah. where start with the lead, the important part, and then you, then you fill it in. Um, with background. Um, it amazes me how many journalists don't do that now, but um, that's what I was trained to do. I've read somewhere recently, I don't know if this is true, but there's, uh, they think that may have started with the, the Civil War, actually. They would have to write short notes that may be taken over by the military having to kind of put their lead forward. And speaking of anecdotes, like, what do you kind of, do you do something with those? I would imagine you read a lot between stories. What do you do with little ideas? How do you logistically kind of save those notes? Um, I do a lot of, you know, I mean, it's with the computer, so it's not so much clipping anymore. Mm -hmm. But I excerpt a lot of uh, news stories and features that I see online uh, on subjects that I'm interested in. Um, print them out, either that or put them into files on my computer that I might access later. You know, I've got I've got so many subjects that I have not yet covered um, that are that are waiting to go. You know, I've had a grizzly bear file going for years and years okay. of stories and, and anecdotes and real real tales. And so that's the kind of thing that I've, I've just always on the lookout for um, subject matter. And some authors I've talked to, you know, you might you might save a, a box of files metaphorically and only use about 10% of that. Do you kind of find that to be true? I do. Yeah. Um, there, there are things that I've, I, there are files of uh, potential material that I've, I've now moved three times in my life and never used, but I don't want to throw it away either. So um, how do you kind of know what the next story idea is going to be? I mean, is it something where you're still having to pitch to your manager? Or is it more like one story of many stories? What are some of your thoughts about this is the next idea for sure? Um, I never think a book ahead. Even uh, I certainly never think where's this huge narrative arc of 24 books going to eventually go. Never have thought that way. I really don't start thinking about the next book until the, the book I'm working on right now is over. And I think that's because for a couple of reasons, one, I'm just not that clever that I can think long-term. But the other thing is I think, I think a reader can pick up when the author is holding back or setting things up for later. And I think that's kind of a cheat. Um, So I try to put everything into every book and then when it's done, sit down and go, okay, what could come next? What should come next? And um, I usually come up with three or four I think solid ideas. And then I run them by my editor. And luckily, almost every time he chooses the one I like the best. And then we'll go with that. Is there any anything you do to kind of lean him in one direction or the other? Or do you put an equal amount of time into each idea? I I think it's an equal amount of time, but I think he can kind of sense if there's 
more passion between behind one idea than another. Um, Mm. And I think I can think on one occasion where he, he went with the one I liked, but he thought there should be a side story of one, the one he didn't choose. And that worked out pretty well. Um, It's very collaborative in that first part. And it's not so much now with all of these books behind me and the, the fact that um, they've been pretty successful, we don't really have big arguments over what's coming next. I, I mainly just kind of lay out what I'm thinking and um, they'll go with it. And uh, and then we go from there. Are there some specific strengths your editor has that come to mind? I mean, there, so there's like types of line editors, big picture editors. Does he kind of do both? What are some of those assets you have? Um, I think the biggest strength, I'm lucky enough to work with an editor named Neil Nyron, who um, he's now, re- he's officially retired, but when he retired, he made it a condition of his retirement that he wanted to continue to edit me and John Sanford. And I'm a fan of John Sanford. And and then uh, uh, Neil Nyron has edited all of the big heavyweights in, in this mm-hmm. industry. And Neil just has a way of letting you down it, very, very easily um, if he thinks something is wrong. And he never just says, this doesn't work for me. What he says is, you know, I didn't love this quite as much as I I wanted to, but what if you tried this? Mm -hmm. So he always offers an alternative and it's always good Mm -hmm. rather than just saying, it's not working for me. Um, Can you fix something in it that's just not sitting and I've heard, I've talked to other authors who've had editors give them that kind of nebulous or vague advice, and it drives them out of their minds. And I understand why. Mm. That's really special. I talk to a lot of screenwriters, and it seems like they get a lot of notes, but they rarely get a, a really good suggestion like that. Um, where did this new idea come from? Where did the idea for Stormwatch come from? Um, three different things. Um, I'm always kind of just, I've always got my antenna up. Um, and I love to structure Joe Pickett stories around, you know, both current and sometimes controversial issues, um, in the mountain West generally, and sometimes nationally. And, uh, in this case, it was, um, three things that are three elements of the book. First one is, uh, cryptocurrency mining, which doesn't sound like a Wyoming kind of story, but it is because, um, entrepreneurs have figured out how to construct little uh, cryptocurrency facilities on the top of abandoned oil and gas wells and draw that energy to do crypto mining, which is very mm-hmm. energy intensive. A lot of people don't realize how energy intensive it is. So in the middle of nowhere where they can't see a single power line, they'd be mining cryptocurrency in a little high-tech facility. And I was fascinated with that. Um, also, uh, it's called shed hunting, gathering antlers that fall off of deer and elk. Um, every year has become quite a big thing in the West because uh, traders pay a lot of money for antlers, $5 a pound. Um, an elk has 90 pounds of antlers. So that adds up when you fill your truck up with them. Um, and the other thing is, it, which is close to all the books, is that um, Wyoming is one of the states that has Wyoming and Wyoming has 50% of the entire state is run and managed by the federal government, by different agencies. So depending on the direction of the administration in Washington, that can cause some real conflicts on the ground because the, the leaders are not elected, they're appointed. 
And um, people get very frustrated if they're in industries that are frowned upon every four years or encouraged every four years. So they really get whipped around and it creates a lot of anti-federal government sentiment. Those are a lot of big issues. Uh, just yeah. hearing them, they may they may not sound connected, but I'm sure they're all kind of connected in the book. Um, how this is maybe an obvious question, but if you can elaborate on it, like as a journalist and a writer now, how important is truth in your work? It sounds like you do a ton of research. How do you make sure it's like? It seems like articles in magazines they're pretty well fact checked, but there's also lots of stuff online or maybe even talking to people. Like, how do you how do you feel about truth in your fiction stories? I, well, I, I think if I'm writing about a specific controversy or industry or way of life, um, I try to be as accurate as possible. Um, when, when it's a subject that I'm not that familiar with going in, and if it's controversial, like any energy-related mm -hmm. issue is controversial these days, solar, wind, you know, uh, extractive. Mm -hmm. What I always try to do is find um, very well-first people on both sides of an issue and I ask them, I'd interview them just like I'm doing a newspaper article. And then I incorporate their views into the books in, for, if coming from the mouths of characters in the books. Mm -hmm. And then later, in many cases, I'll send those people, those passages to make sure I got their viewpoint correct. Yeah. Uh, not the whole book, not, don't get <laughs> that, but um, make sure that I, I, I got it accurate. And and I've had very, very few complaints over the years from people saying I didn't represent um, a certain, you know, a certain side of the issue. Well, I really mm -hmm. try to do that and I because I trust readers to come down where they may having heard the argument. That's a unique perspective. Are they are they kind of excited to be somewhat of a character in the book in a way? Or how do you kind of explain that to them when you first approach someone? What I find is that people in in walks of life that aren't, you know, that, that, that don't talk to a lot of reporters or writers mm -hmm. love to tell about what they do because um, they're proud of what they do and they want that perspective portrayed accurately. I mean, I've, and sometimes... I, I have to hold stuff back in the books because I was talking to a, a guy who ran a supercomputer center once. He was very reticent to talk to me because I, I said the subject matter is how do you how does someone on the outside take one of these down? Mm. And um, <laughs> after about an hour, he was he gave me about four different ways how to sabotage <laughs> his facility, and I didn't use any of them because mm. that wasn't the point of the book. It was, um, but people are really and cops always love to talk about how criminals should have done it. Um, and, and sometimes I, that's too revealing. Mm. Are there some other examples that that is so interesting? I think I've heard um, uh, Chuck Palahniuk say that something that was in the fight club book, they decided not to put the movie for that. So I think it was like how to make napalm for that same reason. Um, are there some other examples of just things where you're like, you're all, do you talk to your editor about that too? Like, or is it up to you to kind of make that safety type decision? Um, there have been a couple of occasions where the editor has said, is this really, could this really happen? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it, I don't put it in unless it could really happen. <laughs> but, and we haven't really softened it once it's been written, but sometimes I kind of self do that ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not in the book at all. Tell me a little bit about the just the logistics of your process. You've got so many books behind you. Your first one was published at 40. I imagine you were writing some, obviously, before that, though, as oh, well, sure. in addition to journalism. Um, what's kind of the process like now, and how has it changed over the years, like day to day? You know, it hasn't changed so much 
uh, from the very first book that was, I got published as some kind of re- gotten refined and sped up. Mm-hmm. Um, I still always start with the issues or the controversies or the subjects I want to cover. And then I research the heck out of those. And then I go back and in the way I look at it, how can I pull a reader through these sub- these subject matters or these themes in a page turning way? And then, then I do a bullet point outline from the beginning to the end. And then I start writing literally on top of that outline and doing, you know, a thousand, 1500 words a day until it's done. And that's, it's served me well. And I I know I've got good friends who are authors who start with a blank page and say, I, I go where the characters take me. Um, and I do that to some degree, but I, I like to have it more structured going in. Have you noticed any maybe ups and downs in readership about the type of material? I'm, I'm not sure if it's like, you know, you know, masculine focused or how you might say it, but like on TV, there's really just Yellowstone for that audience. There's like a very few, there's a very few handful of shows where everything else has kind of gone a different direction. Have you seen any reflection of that just in the overall reading of the books? I think so. There's, there are a lot more books than you might realize that are set in rural location, rural isolated locations these days. Um, sometimes some with game wardens even in right. it. And um, so I think that, I think that's actually growing. Um, mm-hmm. And as far as TV goes, um, there's so many, you know, outlets, streaming services, yeah. and so on. Like right now I'm, you know, uh, in, I've got two TV shows based on my books. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Big Sky on ABC and Joe Pickett on Paramount Plus. And the great thing about that is it exposed those shows, expose people to the books, attracts mm-hmm. them to the books, which is great. You know, um, so I don't get too hung up on whether everything is accurate or exactly like the books, mm-hmm. because I know I know viewers and readers are smart. They, they know the books are always better than what they're watching. So if they like it somewhat, they're going to seek out the source material. And that has happened. Are you are you pretty happy with those in general, or do you not think much about them after like a contract has been signed? I don't I don't imagine you put too much thought about that when you're writing a new book, for example. I don't. I give none. You know, when I'm writing a new book, but we're re, you know um, the Big Sky shows uh, it's, you know three seasons. Um, they've kind of already gone through the source material, so now they're mm-hmm. on their own. Um, we sometimes wonder what's going to come next and why. But uh, the Joe Pickett show is sticking very close to the first mm-hmm. book. And because that's very close to my my whole family and I, we watch it kind of carefully and we're really pleased with the results. They've done a great job. Uh, we just got a, f- a few minutes left, maybe. If you were kind of starting today, or what, it might, what advice might you have for like a novice writer trying to break into fiction world today? Um. I think there are too many fledgling authors that are trying to trace chase trends. Mm. Um, so they shape what they're writing around what they think is hot and what they might, what maybe is hot, but by the time they get that book done, it may not be hot anymore. And I know it sounds trite, but I think um, the best, the best works come from people's um, own personal worlds and experiences and locations um, and are very personal books as opposed to chasing a trend out there to try to get some attention to it. And because I think if the authenticity isn't there, even though it might get published, it's not going to have legs. Um, you know, and the other thing is one book at a time. Um, sometimes I, I have met authors who've said, I've got the entire 12 book series figured out. And I think 
no way. Um, that means you're holding back 11 books of material in your first book. And that's the one that has to make the impact. So just, just, you know, go to work and do that one at a time. Have you always had that mindset? Or was there, was there ever a point where you're a little more precious to like, I should hang on to this. It seems like just the willingness to put all the great ideas in the one you're working on now is something that might be hard for people to, to kind of wrap their heads around. Uh, I agree with that. Um, and all I can say is that, you know, ha having now, you know, almost 30 books out there, well, I have learned that new ideas just keep coming. Um, I've never just stared at the screen wondering what's going to happen next. Um, and I've always, and sometimes in the, you know, in the mid middle of a book, something else will come up that is like, ah, this will be great to incorporate this. And uh, so I don't worry about it. I just go to work every day. Is there a reason why the Grizzly story, I don't want to get too many details because it's still kind of in the works, it sounds like, but is there a reason why it hasn't kind of risen to the surface yet? Is it is it too different? Is it just like you're you're missing something that's intangible? What, what's kind of the thinking there? Um, it's ready. I'm ready to, to write that book because for the first time, um, there have in real life, there have been um a couple of almost homicidal grizzly encounters that um, in the past, it was always, you know, the reason why somebody was attacked was because they got between a sow and her cubs or um, yeah. maybe fed the bear or didn't, but, but there have been quite a few um, in the last few years where grizzly bears have for no discernible reason attacked people and killed them. And um, I've, I've met with uh, uh, grizzly bears, biologists and specialists they really don't have a good idea why this is happening, but it's fascinating that it is. And I want to get into that. And something like that, do you feel a need to try and explain it? Or is it more just about action steps and plot points? I can't explain it. If the, if the experts in the field can <laughs> explain it, I can't explain it. But what I can do is offer some of their theories mm -hmm. um, and have theories on the other side, too. And um, hopefully just make that issue a little more clear to people who might be interested. Would you see that as a, a step towards a different genre? Do you see that as more of like a horror type thing? Or where do you kind of see that in your current works? It's, it's a Joe Pickett book, but it's going to be more of almost, uh, you know, kind of a horror book. Um, and it'll be a, a kind of a new direction, but I like to try new things in the series. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.